0: It is Wednesday, March 30th, 2022. Welcome to the programme. Hope I found you well. Find you well, even. It's a miserable day. The sun is gone. It's raining. It's cold. It's, uh, well, it's spring-like, really, here in Salford. I've got two very interesting guests for you this afternoon. Reach me through richieallen.co.uk
1: uncensored unfiltered you're listening to richie allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show it's the richie allen show broadcasting richie live on richie dot dot yeah. and multiple platforms around the world and now here's your host Richie
0: Allen. Now, a teacher at a grammar school has been suspended because he was photographed drinking from a mug. The mug had the image of the Prophet Muhammad on it. Now, a lot of Muslims don't like images of the Prophet Muhammad. They don't like people drawing or representing the Prophet Muhammad through imagery. I've invited Anjam Chowdhury on the programme to talk about that. He's one of, I suppose, the most well-known Muslims in uh, Britain. I've known him for many years. We'll talk about that, but we'll also talk about the fact that Anjam has been writing scathingly about how the British media is covering the war in Ukraine. The hypocrisy of the British media in condemning the actions of Russia, He's obviously talking about the UK in Iraq and Afghanistan. Lots to talk about with Anjam Chowdhury. And later on, the author, the blogger and the broadcaster, James Perloff, will be live on the programme. You don't want to miss James. James and I will be talking about one of his recent blogs, a terrific examination of what is really happening in Ukraine. That's Wednesday's programme with me, your BBG. Comment live on richieallen.co.uk. Asher, if you didn't do it for God, who would you do it for, eh? As the saying once went. Yeah, two and a half minutes past five. Now, (laughs) there's there's always some interesting things happening. Listen, if I was in Scotland now, I wouldn't be too happy. I'm not happy anyway. So, what difference does it make? I don't mean I'm not happy in my life. I'm not happy with the things that are going on. Um, The... The requirement to wear face coverings has been extended in Scotland until the 18th of April, according to the First Minister of Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon. It was expected to be lifted this week, the requirement to wear masks in shops and on public transport. But no! No, Cranky, as in Jimmy Cranky, yeah, told members of the Scottish Parliament the changes would not... Uh, take effect until April 18th because apparently there's a very high level of infection in Scotland, and because masks provide extra protection, now they don't. And we Jimmy Cranky knows this, but it matters not. Are there any men or women left in Scotland? Pot kettle, Bolly, you're absolutely right. It's as bad or worse in Ireland, it's as bad or worse here in England. Of course, it is. Sturgeon said this is a sensible approach. Let's keep the measures forever. The absolute state of Cranky, eh? Eh, this is where the accusations of misogyny will be levelled. I don't have a misogynistic bone in my body. I just loathe the sight and the sound of Jimmy Cranky. And I'm guessing if I was within five feet of her, I'd probably detest the smell of her as well. In fact, she looks like someone who's got a bit of a smell off of her. What do you reckon? That's the level today. That is the level today. A woman who hid her alopecia for 17 years is delighted that uh, the Oscars the other evening has raised awareness of alopecia. If you've been living on another planet for the last couple of days, you won't know that Chris Rock the comic and by the way, if you ever get a chance to watch Chris Rock's stand-up, particularly his stand-up shows in the 1990s. The man was hilarious and very, very shrewd as well in observing society and where society was heading. Chris Rock, funny guy. Uh, I haven't seen him do stand-up for a long time. He might still be just as funny. But anyway, Chris Rock was doing the Oscars. He made a joke at the expense of Will Smith's wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, who's an actress, very pretty woman too, That's misogynistic too. You're not supposed to say that. She is lovely though. Jada Pinkett Smith. Anywho, it hasn't been determined yet whether Chris Rock knew that Jada Pinkett Smith actually has alopecia. He probably did, but it's not been determined. Anyway, Will Smith walked up and gave him a right-hander across the chops. And, well, the media has been obsessed with it ever since, but alopecia sufferers are happy, like Laura, who's delighted. After the Oscars controversy, she says she's more confident to go out without a wig, and she's ditching the wig. She's ditching the wig, and it's down to Will Smith and his wife. Laura Mathias is from Manningtree in Essex. She said she hoped that other bald people could take a stand in defiance at Chris Rock's joke. She said the positive thing from this awful incident, awful incident, is that in so many more people, uh, well, so many more people know about alopecia, she said. Alopecia. I normally get very anxious going out without a wig, but not now, not now. Now I feel like enough people know about alopecia and wouldn't presume I have cancer or some other illness and, and they wouldn't look at me with pity. Yeah, I'd I'd heard of alopecia before. I don't know about you, dear listener, but I was aware of it. And when I see a bald woman or a bald man, I don't automatically jump to the conclusion that they've got stage four cancer. But that's just me. And then she said this, and I love this. This is why I'm telling you. She said, even though this was a really horrible incident, it has been, wait for it, dear listener, it has been massive for. The alopecia community.
1: What kind of fuckery is this? Yes,
0: yes, yes, yes. The alopecia community. There is a new community. There is a new community to add to. The trans community, the LGBT community, the deaf community, the disabled community, the amputee community. Fantastic. Somebody call Rand McNally and tell him his atlases are way out of step now. Is he still alive, Rand McNally? I had an aunt in America who died of cancer in the very late 1980s, but she was a nice woman and she used to send me Rand McNally atlases, which were very detailed and lovely. Is he still alive, Random McNally? Tell him his atlases are way out of date now. We need to redraw the map of the world to include all of the new communities. Yes. Where's the alopecia community, dear listener? How quick are you? Starter for two. Where is the alopecia community? You don't know? Come on. It's in Barnet.
1: What kind of fuckery are you? <laughs>
0: That's the level. It's in Barnet. Of course, if you don't live in the UK or Ireland, you probably won't get that absolutely ridiculous and childish gag. Communities. They've been very successful, haven't they, with this notion of community. The alopecia community. Is there a meeting? Is there once a week? Is there—is there a parish hall somewhere where all the baldies get together to talk about the latest comings and goings in the alopecia community? We're electing a chairperson tonight. Are we? Lovely. Mad stuff. Yeah, so the alopecia community is delighted at the furore that uh, was whipped up over the smack that was heard around the world. Now, it's nine minutes past five. The Commons Liaison Committee sat this afternoon and sitting in front of the committee was the Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Just to give you a very quick... A little, I don't know, clift note, is it? Clift, clift, clift note. The liaison committee is where the Prime Minister gets asked questions by committee members on a lot of different issues. Current events. So today, he was quizzed on the cost of living, he was quizzed on how to deal with Russia, and of course, he was quizzed on Partygate. Partygate came up because 20 fixed penalty notices have been issued by the police around parties that took place at Downing Street when it was illegal to have such parties. Is he on Sin Ice, the Prime Minister? Well, first to question Johnson today was Pete Wishart from the Scottish National Party. He put the first question to the Prime Minister. You can hear it. Could you tell us
1: whether you're one of the 20 people who received one of these expedited notices and If you're not, are you expecting to secure one in the next few days and weeks? Um, Let
0: me translate that, because he's got a very thick Scottish accent. I know, pot kettle, pot kettle. He said, um, are you one of the people who received a fixed penalty notice, and if not, do you expect to receive one in the coming week? Bojo?
1: Well, uh, Pete, I think, um, I'm sure you'd know. Yeah, will you hear this? If I were, Uh, but I I think that the... look. let me, let me just say, generally, on this whole <laughs> issue, um, I have, I think, been several times to the, to the House to, uh, to talk about this and to, uh, to explain and to apologise and to, to set out the things that we were uh, doing to, to change uh, the way things run in, in, in Number 10, and, and we've, we've done that. But what I also said repeatedly... And, and Mr. Betts I hope you'll forgive me if I if I return to this this theme uh I've said repeatedly that I won't give a, a running commentary on an investigation that is is underway and, and I, I know that um you, you will want you will, and people will be naturally curious about all sorts of things <laughs> and I totally understand that but I I, I just think it, it would be wrong of me to to deviate from that. Prime Minister, we're not expecting you to give any commentary, quite obviously, but I mean, if you are served with one of them, you're, you're pretty much toast, aren't you? I mean, no.
0: You're pretty much toast, aren't you, says Pete. Prime Minister could possibly survive find, being found of criminality for the very rules that that Prime Minister set. You'd, you'd be finished if you got one.
1: Well, I, 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 with, with deepest uh, respect to you, Pete, I, 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 I don't in any way wish to, to minimise the importance of the of the issue and and, and your point, but I I just want Blah,
0: blah, 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 blah. But Pete, God bless him, wasn't to be deterred. You thought you'd got away with it, didn't you? You really thought that this was going to be put... You thought you'd gotten away with it, didn't you, Prime Minister? Put aside that nobody would be interested. You've been a bit shocked in the course of the past 24 hours, and the optics last night of parading your MPs in front of the COVID bereaved to go and party the day that you received fixed penalty notices was surely... Dreadful Optics. Dreadful Optics. There there was a shindig somewhere in London last night where Johnson addressed the troops. Tory party MPs attended some, some, some gig or other, some party, some meeting, where food was served. It was at a hotel in London. And your man, Pete, from the SNPs, or the Scottish National Party, is saying the optics are terrible on the day you received fixed penalty notices for having parties. Uh, uh,
1: Pete, there (laughs) there will be a time for me to talk to you. I
0: won't subject you to any more of that rot. There's a very English phrase. That rot, Johnson. And of course, people are up in arms about it. Have you seen that ridiculous COVID memorial wall? These goons. And listen, I'm not without sympathy for anyone who is bereaved because a husband, a wife, a daughter, a son, a grandparent died. Of course I'm not, I'm not heartless. But for them to be painting hearts on this Covid wall, give me a fucking break. Right? And to be up in arms about the fact that you stayed indoors when you were told to and he had a party. How can they not make the leap to the obvious... They dicked around and did whatever they liked at the time because they f- knew that there was no deadly virus circulating in society. A virus, maybe, but not a deadly virus. Why can't people make that leap? Rather than this selfish narcissism. Me, 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 me. I stayed in. Did you, dipstick? Did you? You're a dipstick. Do you understand? I didn't stay in. I went where I wanted to go. I travelled where I where I could travel when I needed to. I had people around my house. I didn't wear a mask. I stuck two fingers up to the government and didn't comply. So I don't care what Johnson did. You see, in his house with his pals. It doesn't bother me. The fact that they could tell people to close their businesses under penalty of arrest and fines, that they could wreck the economy, that they could treat children the way they've treated them, that's what you should be up in arms about. And that they're pushing dodgy, dangerous, shambolic medicines, treatments, dressed up as vaccines. But no, you're annoyed because you stayed home and did what you were told, and he partied like it was 1999. You dipstick. I have no sympathy for you. None. And I never will. Because you're, to me, you're as much the enemy as Johnson. That's harsh, isn't it? A little bit, maybe. No, because the folks who go along with it, well, they enable them, don't they? Anyway, that was Johnson at the Commons Liaison Committee. Uh, Trans questions keep tripping up politicians, just in case you forgot. Here is Labour leader Keir Starmer being quizzed by LBC's Nick Ferrari on Monday. Do women have a tallywacker? Politicians are terrified of that question. A woman can have a penis.
1: (laughs) Nick, I'm not. I'm not. (laughs) I I don't think we can conduct this (laughs) debate with... You know, sorry, have I, have I get I offended this. Like, you in no, 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 it's just. Uh, no, 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 I just. A I woman can't th- have a penis. I don't think that um, discussing this. Yeah. yeah, I won't subject you to any
0: more of it, he says again. That was Starmer on Monday. Politicians right across the political spectrum have collapsed in the face of that. Vexing question that has vexed and bothered scientists and doctors since Moses was in short trousers. Can women have a penis? Well, now that's the question. Get the blackboard out. Get me the white, the blue, the pink, the green, and the yellow chalk. This is going to take an incredible mathematical equation to solve. Can women have penises? Anyway, shall we meet today's contestant? This has been going on forever, hasn't it? Today's contestant was Keir Starmer's Shadow Health Secretary, Wes Streeting. Julia Hartley Brewer, asking the important question.
2: You ready? Here we go.
3: Can a woman have a
2: penis? Men have penises. Women have vaginas. Here ends my biology lesson. Yes! Yes!
0: We have a winner, ladies and gentlemen. The Can Women Have a Penis competition is officially over. It has been answered by Labour's Shadow Health Secretary, Wes Streeting. I'm really pissed off that he answered the question because I was enjoying playing this game every single day of the week and I would have kept it going as long as they kept it going. Yes, men have willies and women have vaginas. What did we say? I don't mean that the, the, the nasty sexual words. We said willies for boys, didn't we? What did we say for girls? I can't remember. Willies. Okay, um, streeting went on. He, he went on and indulged Brewer a little bit more.
2: It doesn't mean, by the way, that there aren't people who transition to other genders because they experience gender dysphoria and we should acknowledge that and and conduct the debate in a respectful way that that respects those people's rights and dignity
3: Where's Streeting? Can I just say I've got a Labour MP on who can answer that question? And uh, did biology? Oh God, I'm
2: getting, I'm getting a clap from Julia Hartley Brewer. This is the end of my lefty street cred now.
0: Well, it could be worse. You could have gotten the clap from Julia. If I had
3: any in the, first place. I don't think place. you had any in the first place. I, 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 <laughs> but guys, a, a, a Labour MP who can answer that. I mean, even even some Tories. I mean, Richie Sunak didn't give a straight answer, and he's the Tory Chancellor. He never does.
2: He never I, does. I
3: am, I'm genuinely, I'm impressed. Would you mind having a word with Keir Starmer and all the others at the Labour front bench and explain to them that that is the answer?
2: No, he doesn't need any advice from me. He I, does. I think, but, but he does, though. He's pulling his hair out like the rest of us. We want a respectful debate around these issues, and we recognise that there've been tensions on the gender identity debate. And yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Respectful debate. There shouldn't be any debates. You can live as you like, and you must be respected. You must be, and you should not be discriminated against. However, you don't get to say that you can participate in women's sports. You don't get to say that you can use female changing rooms. None of that nonsense. No debate needed, really. Just leave it to Uncle Richie. I'll sort it out. Go on, Wes, anyway. Round a great running gag, you backstirred. But look, it's not all good news. Let me read you this from my own website. From my own website. Um, cycling competitions. Now, you might have heard me speaking with Hayden Hewitt... Last night, the lively co-founder and the man behind Black Octopus Productions, we spoke at length about the issue of um, gender identity and sex being biological, biological sex being immutable and all that sort of stuff. We talked about It doesn't look like I can bring up my story now. Bloody website again. It's 20 minutes past the hour. James Perloff will join me in hour two. Before that, Anjam Chowdhury will be with me. We're going to talk a little bit about the suspension of a teacher for using a mug, which had an image of the Prophet Muhammad on it. But we'll also talk about the media coverage of Ukraine, which Anjam is very interested in. But yeah, the Times has spoken to a professional cyclist, a woman, and she said that women are scared of speaking out against men being allowed to compete with women because they would lose their careers. And this is about Emily Bridges, who's a a transgender woman, who's in the entry list for the National Omnium Championships, which take place in Derby on Saturday. Now, Emily Bridges is a man who believes that he's a woman, but he's more than that. He's an incredibly successful cyclist. In fact, only last month, this guy won a men's race at the British Universities Championships in Glasgow, and has previously broken national junior men's records over twenty-five miles. He's a man, and he shouldn't be allowed, whatever his testosterone levels, to be compete against women. By the way, one of the women who will be taking place, uh, sorry, t- taking part in that race on Saturday, will be Dame Laura Kenny. One of the most successful cyclists in the world, male or female. Laura Kenny, I don't believe, has said anything about this. We'll have to wait and see. Bridges is a man, whatever he thinks. He should be respected for choosing the gender that he wants to live as and all of that. But he's a man and he shouldn't be allowed race. And I said today and I mean it. If only the women would come together and say, we're not racing with him. Um, that's how it would end. It would end right there. At least that's what I believe in any case. Yeah, we might come back to uh, that later. Maybe we won't. Maybe we won't. Now, this is very important. 22 minutes past uh, the hour. A human rights group has accused Facebook of pushing climate change deniers, pushing them towards disinfo and pushing them towards conspiracy groups when they are using Facebook. Now, this is Global Witness. Wow. Until today, I'd never heard of Global Witness. It claims to be a human rights group, right? And um, it claims, Global Witness, that Facebook's algorithm amplifies people's doubts rather than nudging them towards reliable information. So it amplifies people's doubts about the legitimacy of climate change science, rather than pushing them towards so-called um, reliable science. Now, the BBC has written about this today. Researchers created two Facebook users, Jane, fictional users, Jane, who's a climate change sceptic, and John, who believes in climate change and follows scientific bodies. And then they they tracked what Facebook was showing to John and to Jane, and they found that climate change sceptic Jane was being shown lots and lots of information, lots of pages calling climate change a hoax and attacking measures to mitigate its effects, where, on the other side, John, who believes in it, was being he was being sent to pages and information on Facebook about the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Okay, that's interesting. Now, I, I've written about this today, and I've said this for many, many, many years. Is it true that Facebook and Twitter is, or are, sending people, no matter what the issue, but let's stay with climate change for a moment. Is it true they could be sending climate change sceptics to echo chambers on their platforms? Well, it's obviously true. That is exactly what they are doing. I argued today, and I'm arguing now. I look forward to reading your opinion on it. Social media was set up to do that very thing, in my opinion, to sell people back their opinions, to, to take you into places where you are, I don't know, codified, mollycoddled and placated and told, yes, yes, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Why would Facebook do that? If climate change is a hoax, which you and I both know it is, excuse me, climates change all the time. We've seen that in the last week, haven't we? But is man-made climate change a hoax? Man-made CO2 leading to irreversible warming that will destroy the planet? Yes, that is a hoax, right? You and I both know that. So if that is true, why would Facebook or anybody else send people to places where they could read that it is true? Yes. It's a confusing one for some people, but it isn't. It's actually quite simple, in my opinion. If you can get people onto social media to chat about the dystopian lunacy that's coming down the tracks, like climate change and the proposals, not the proposals, but the solutions to climate change, which will be horrible for every man, woman and child on the planet and animal. If you can get people onto Facebook to talk about that stuff and then send them into groups and onto pages where they will see content that tells them they are right, it is my opinion, and I've been saying this for many years, those people are unlikely to take any real-world steps to resist their own enslavement. When they're on Facebook and on Twitter, putting out little feelers, posts, tweets... You know what a tweet is? A tweet is like going fishing. You, You throw a tweet out... The only reason you're doing that is to see how many people you can get to like it, or to share it, or to follow you back. People don't like admitting that, but it's true. Narcissism reigns supreme, supreme even. So you go on there and you do that. And while you're doing that, and shouting out stupid things like, enough is enough, we've got to get rid of these bastards, Klaus Schwab has to go. Bill Gates is this and Bill Gates is that. It's time we stopped it for our children. While you're doing that, you're not stopping anything. Really, you're doing exactly what the agenda, what the architects of the agenda want you to do. That's a fact. Would you like me to share with you a little illustration? Illustration. Would you like me to share an illustration of what really goes on on Twitter? Would you? And on Facebook? Have a listen. This is a scene from the life of Brian. The People's Front of Judea are having a meeting. This is Facebook. It really is. And
3: let's face it, as empires
1: go, this is the big one. So we've got to get up off our arses and stop just talking about it. Yeah! Yeah. I agree. It's action that counts, not words, and we need action now. Yeah! Yeah. You're right. We could sit around here all day talking, passing resolutions, making clever speeches. It's not a shift. One Roman soldier. So let's just stop gabbing on about it. It's completely pointless, and it's getting us nowhere. Right! Right. I agree. This is a complete waste of time. They've arrested Brian. What? What? They've dragged him off. They've got a clue. Him. Right. This calls for immediate discussion. Yeah. What? Immediate. Right. New motion? Completely new motion. Uh, that. Uh, that there be uh, immediate action uh, once the vote has been taken. Well, obviously once the vote has been taken, you can't act on a resolution until you vote. Reg, for, for, for God's, God's sake, go right. no! Yeah. Please. Right. Yeah, in the in the light of fresh information from uh and Judith. Yeah. Oh, not so fast, Reg. Reg, for God's sake, it's perfectly simple. All you've got to do is to go out of the now and try to stop the Romans nailing him up. It's happening, Reg! Something's actually happening, Reg! Can't you understand? Oh! Yeah, hello.
3: Another
1: little ego trip from the feminists. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> oh
2: sorry
0: Lorna. No, and uh, dear, dear listeners, that, that, that is Twitter. That is Facebook. It's not nice to hear it, maybe, but it's true. That is meetings in Leicester Square. It's Nonsense, all of it. Welcome to the programme. Jam Chowdhury follows this from Jamirakwai. Jamirakwai. Right, as that is Jamirakwai and Canned Heat on the Richie Allen Show's Half Five. Welcome to the programme, if you're just joining me. Lovely to be with you, as always. Now, a grammar school teacher was suspended after he was photographed using a mug which depicted the image of the Prophet Muhammad, the man, was teaching at Colchester Royal Grammar School in Essex. As The Telegraph has reported on this, a spokesman for the school said, we've been notified that an image has been shared online of an individual appearing to use a cup that has an offensive image on it. At this time, we are looking into the matter. Mm. To talk about that with me is a man who needs very little introduction to you or anyone else. I suppose he's one of the most well-known Muslims in uh, the UK. He's a former solicitor and I think it's fair to say he is an Islamic scholar. It's always a pleasure to welcome back to the programme Anjam Chowdhury. Anjam, welcome. Welcome back.
3: Yes, uh, thank you very much for your introduction, Uchi.
0: Lovely to have you back, and I look forward to talking about Ukraine in a few minutes. Um, we, we've covered this issue many times before. Explain to my listeners why some Muslims take offence at any depiction at all of the Prophet Muhammad.
3: Yes, uh, this is an extremely important and sensitive matter, as you well know. Your listeners will already be familiar, I'm sure, with uh, cases of uh insulting the prophet like Salman Rushdie, Theo van Gogh, Tersia Ali, et cetera, and of course, the famous Danish cartoons. If I could put it a little bit into perspective, the honor of the prophet for us is more important than ourselves and even our own parents. I suppose recently you could make a similitude with Will Smith, you know, for someone merely talking about his wife's hair. I think uh, she suffers from alopecia. He slapped, uh, I think it was Chris Rock, you know, and, and other other people who were at the Oscars ceremony actually said that they, you know, they could feel and they they, you know, could sympathise with him in some way, you know. And if if that's just for you know talking about your wife, what about someone who billions of people revere, who is better than all of mankind, and we're supposed to respect him and follow him, and you know even give our lives for his sake? The the people in the time of the prophet, they would they would be willing to sacrifice their lives for this prophet of Allah. Who've been sent to us as a mercy for for the whole of mankind. So, to put it into that perspective, you can see why people feel so upset and angry at any depiction or any insult to the prophet. And, let, and let's be clear as well, Richie, that this uh, web comic, uh, Jesus and Mo, quote, was launched in November 2007, in 2005, I believe, and it depicts uh, these two prophets, you know, sharing a flat, sharing a bed, drinking alcohol, and it even includes inclu- includes the prophet Moses as well. I mean. All of the prophets of Allah are, are very dear for us, and all of them deserve this protection. And, you know, just to give you one other example, I remember, you know, many years ago now, they had a, they had a play, I believe, in uh, Seven Sisters at the Pleasance Theatre called Corpus Christi, where at that time, Terrence McNally was portraying Jesus as a homosexual. And we had a demonstration outside that theatre, and Christians were coming up to us, and they were actually saying that we should be out here defending you know, the honour of this person. So, I mean, it's not
0: just Muslims. I know you've been consistent on this ever since I began speaking with you many years ago, but how can you, you can't convince me that there's any victim here. I mean, even if there are a billion Muslims in the world, even if there are, I don't know, 800 million or or a billion Christians, how could a supreme being of love and light, all-knowing, um, you know, a being that's been um, in the celestial heavens forever, how could that being that that um that god be offended or hurt in any way by somebody drawing an image or a or a picture of 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 a prophet i don't understand it
3: yeah well i mean it's it, it's our relationship with god you know god is never going to be harmed by what you do but he lays down criteria for us and he gave us the prophet muhammad uh, sallallahu alaihi as an example to follow and even in his own time those who insulted him faced death penalty, the death penalty, and they were executed. So, you know, there there are examples of this going back all the way to his own time. It's about defending the honor and the dignity and respecting the prophets. You know, and I think it's the height of depravity, which in the West, far from following the prophets, even if if we accept for the Christians, you know, Jesus is their example, far from following him, they allow him to be insulted. And, 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 you know, and, and, and the fact that they, they can get away with that. Because yet, we believe in you know, free don't,
0: speech, don't. Anjam. Because we believe, when I say we, I'm talking about my circle of friends. I share a circle of friends who have vastly different belief systems than I do. When it comes to religion, you know this from speaking to me for years, I'm agnostic when it comes to the idea of a creator. I don't have any idea. I have the greatest respect for other people's opinions and their views. Some of my friends are devout Christians. They couldn't care less um, if Mel Gibson makes a film about Jesus. Not Mel Gibson, um, Jim Caviezel, if he makes the... The, 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 the film that was so offensive or allegedly so offensive. I know Muslims. There's a friend of mine who lives in Rochdale who's a practising Muslim. I won't mention him by name because he wouldn't like it. He couldn't give a damn. He says, listen free speech is either total or it isn't. And if some idiot I mean there's, there's a difference by the way. This guy ha, ha, has a cup and it's its like merchandise from a comic. There's a difference between that and somebody deliberately going out to annoy people by depicting the prophets doing you know grave horrible sexual acts and stuff like that. But what it comes down to is I believe free speech is absolute and th- the fact that this guy's been suspended for drinking out of a cup that has an image of a prophet on it. Well that's terrible to me but you disagree Mm
3: -hmm. well uh, you know we can break this down a little bit Uh, first of all this particular teacher he took his mug with this depiction into the playground so it was not something he was doing by himself in his own home and let's just be clear as well that this particular school doesn't have a great reputation. No, Even Offset has said it has serious weaknesses, problems with its leadership. A former uh, pupil even said it has a toxic uh, rape culture. So it doesn't really have a great reputation. But if we talk about freedom in itself, and those proponents of secularism and liberty, you know, if we really had these, then we wouldn't have libel laws, we wouldn't have slander laws. You know, you talk about your friends, a friend of mine, Abu Zidine, was taken to court for laughing. You know, at at, uh, at something that took place many years ago, and another friend of mine, Abdul Mohid, got six years for holding a placard. You know, I mean, you know, we wouldn't have these laws. I mean, you know, my own case of just giving a verdict or an opinion of what was taking place in Iraq and Syria gave me five and a half years. I, you know, I gave one tweet, you know, uh, uh, and basically that was what happens. I, I screamed, some, but, but I, I screamed from the rooftops. One 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 hang one 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 on
0: a on second, hang on a on second. There's there's I, Let there. me finish. I screamed from the rooftops that it was outrageous that you were sent to prison for that. You see, you're either for free speech or you're not for it. It's total or it's not. It was outrageous that you went to prison. It was regrettable. I profoundly disagree with you on many issues. I find you very smart, very, very bright. I think you're an intellectual. But um, I disagree with you. But I wouldn't have you sent to prison for expressing an opinion. Um, I don't believe that you incited violence against anybody at that particular time. This is hugely important here because I think what you do, as intelligent as you are, is you encourage victimhood. Like you said, what about the kids who might see the cup in the playground? But those kids, Anjam, those young Muslim children, they're going to have to accept that they will be mingling with people in the world as they grow up who have incredibly different views than they do. They'll meet with people who see the world similarly, but they'll meet with people who will have negative opinions of Islam. And they're going to have to toughen up and learn to live
3: with it. Yeah, but there's, there's a world of difference, Richie, between a school which is supposed to teach people about uh, you know, various subjects to develop their own personality. And which, you know, every parent knows cannot insult the parents and cannot insult, you know, people on the basis of their race or colour. And similarly, cannot, cannot insult, you know, the things that they worship. That's not the purpose. Of schools, especially in England, where they promote freedom and democracy and liberty, and you know, and I think that the the problem that we have here is, you know, this this insulting of the prophet is not an exception; it's be, it's become quite common. And this teacher would have known what he was doing, and you know, and 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 the parents and the children, they can they they expect for their religion and the people who who they hold dear to be defended and protected and to be honoured. And you know, the examples I gave, you know, about free, freedom and liberty being this kind of like flexible friend where you can apply it whatever you want, I suppose it leads back to the central question is who should lay down the parameters of acceptable behaviour. You believe it should be Parliament. People like yourself, probably. I don't. No, I do not. I
0: believe it should, no, be, so believe it should very, be up to the individual. We all,
3: believe, we all believe in laws, but who should lay down those laws in the first
0: place? Yes, but I don't believe it should be down to parliament. I believe that certain truths are self-evident, and I'm going to go back to what you said about the, the youngsters. If I was, um, um, uh, if I was a practicing Muslim, I would say to my son or daughter, "Listen, if you see any of that stuff, you know, ignore it. Um, it can't possibly hurt you." Um, uh, ignore it and ignore the person who who, who did it or or who said it. Otherwise you're making a perennial victim out of children. I think it's a negative thing to do. I really do. I don't like it. I don't like when people go go out of their way to upset or offend people. I know many Muslim people. I, I don't know a bad person among them. I don't like the idea of somebody drawing, you know, sexual cartoons and stuff like that. Those people are idiots. But I believe in free speech and while I Regret that people would do stuff like that. I don't believe that they should have to answer for it to you or anyone else. Now, you've kind of hinted, and you're not going to answer this because you never do, but I'm going to ask you again anyway. Anjam Chowdhury is our guest. You kind of hinted that almost capital punishment is almost, you know, reasonable to deal with somebody who draws an image of the Prophet Muhammad. Where are you hinting at that? Is that an acceptable punishment? <clears throat>
3: Well, I mean the 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 ruling in Islam for someone who insults any of the prophets, whether it be Moses, Jesus, or Muhammad, is capital punishment. But this depends obviously if you have an Islamic authority and after you know a judge you know decides that th- that is the case, then obviously this is the law, this is the sharia. There are some people in Islam who believe because the prophet's honor belongs to all of us, that they can take that into their own hands. That is their juristic opinion. You know, I don't follow that particular opinion, although I understand why they have that opinion. But nevertheless, this I suppose the answer to the question is, if there is, in fact, an insult, insult to any of the prophets, that is the ruling in Islam, Richie. You know, we can't get away from that. You may think it's okay, you know, for, to have pornography and, you know, all of the other things. And, but how do you know to what to I your think children, is okay or not? Them to your children because it's all freedom and liberty. And, uh, Hang on and a so second on. now. We've but, known know, each other too long. Hang on.
0: Don't start that shite now. We've known each other too long. Don't start that nonsense, Sanjay you, you might. You might no, that, I have no interest in porn. I, I don't want children to be exposed to pornography or any of that old garbage. It sounds to me like you'd be happier living in Saudi Arabia.
3: Would you? Saudi Arabia is the most corrupt place uh, and regime uh, around. Uh, but they uh, like, the like to kill around. people who don't agree with I'm them. I'm the they like to execute people
0: over regime. there. Don't Sorry? they? They like they're, they're they're really down with executing people whose opinions they don't and, like.
3: You'd be surprised nowadays. Nowadays they're into uh, celebrating Valentine's Day, having parties, having loads of like uh, pop stars like Maria Carey and others, and even having beaches. And really, you know, they're not even allowing this Ramadan for the prayers in the central mosque to be uh, you know aired around the world. So they're really going down. I suppose again the, down the line of secularism and liberty Fair and enough. your kind of place really Richie.
0: let 's talk about um Ukraine just before we talk about Ukraine. Can I just get you to acknowledge you said that you know th- there's Islamic law says don't insult the prophet by by making images, but those laws were written by men Anjam those laws weren't handed down by god
3: well, I differ with you there. I believe that uh, all of those laws the the prophet's um, sayings and actions and even his consent his tati- uh, his consent to what other people did uh, you know his approval all of that is revelation because Allah said clearly in the Quran that whatever the prophet did take it whatever he left leave it and that he's a he's an example for us so I would say all of that is divinely inspired and its revelation. And, you know, unlike the Bible, which was not written down contemporaneously, the, the whole of the Qur'an was written down in the time of the Prophet, as it was revealed by his companions, and, you know, millions of people around the world know it by heart, and it's exactly the same. It's never changed in Iota. We don't have different, you know, versions and variants, like the King James V version, or this version, you know, I mean, you're, you're constantly changing the Bible, and even the Torah. We don't have that problem in Islam.
0: Anjam Chowdhury is our guest. Here's an area or a subject where I think we certainly have common ground. You've written some very interesting posts and blogs on the UK, particularly the UK media coverage of Ukraine. And what you see is blatant hypocrisy in terms of how they're accusing Russia of well, the most heinous crimes. It's a daily thing. It's an hourly thing. Russia has... Soldiers have raped women. Soldiers have done this. They've killed people in theatres and all of that sort of stuff. And the outrage being expressed in the media. You've caught on to that and you've looked back over the last 25, 30 years and beyond and you've said this is, well, absolutely hypocritical, right?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think that... Um the uh, involvement of the us and british and even ukrainians in fact under nato and the united nations in iraq in afghanistan and uh, in syria which left you know hundreds of thousands even millions dead and uh, which we're still paying the price the legacy is still there for all to see it's been completely decimated you know, has no repercussions for those countries who are involved. And, you know, one of the prime uh, candidates was Russia, of course, which bombed uh, uh, places like Aleppo and other places indiscriminately. They completely destroyed Grozny and uh, places, uh, you know, in Chechnya. And yet there's no comeuppance, you know. And yet as soon as this war starts in Ukraine, you know, they're boycotting Russia. They want to kick them out of the, uh, you know, Security Council and the g 7 and, you know, everything, there's no page left unturned. You know, the hypocrisy is so blatant, which I think for not only me, for Muslims and many, many non-Muslims around the world. I mean, if you put in hypocrisy on Twitter, you Ukraine comes yeah. up and, uh, and, and what the British and the, the West have been doing.
0: It's pretty stark, isn't it? I think within, I don't want to exaggerate, I think within two to three days of the beginning of the invasion, and, um, I I remember listening to Radio 4 or Radio 5, and already politicians were, were going on the air talking about bringing Russian generals and even the Russian president to um, account for war crimes. And I, I thought to myself at the time, the barefaced cheek of some of these people. Some of them were people like Jack Straw, former Home Secretary. <laughs> yeah. I mean, his Prime Minister was involved in the murder, the slaughter of more than a million people in Iraq and a displacement of 2 million or 3 million more. And we're only talking about... Twenty years ago. I mean, yeah. it's, it's almost like you have to pinch yourself to think, I, surely and, and of course the, the, the presenters then, uh, the reporters, they don't say anything to these people. I mean, how frustrating is that for, for a British Muslim, you know, to hear these people call for war crimes investigations while Tony Blair walks around free and easy, getting paid £100,000 a time to give a speech, heading up a, a think tank now, yeah. that must be particularly disgusting to you and, and others.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think there are many levels of hypocrisy here because Liz Truss early on was even encouraging British uh, uh, civilians to go and fight in Ukraine. And, you know, and it's a wonder in fact that there are um, sections of the Ukrainian army, like the Azov Battalion, which are very far right, even people say neo-Nazi. And yet, you know, that was absolutely fine and they weren't going to be arrested. And yet when people wanted to go and defend their fellow brethren, in Iraq and Syria, they suddenly face terrorism laws, you know, and even the idea of wanting to go abroad, even talking about it, you know, could get you 10 years or 15 years in prison. So I think, you know, if we're going to have this uh, double standard, then let's have a normal uh, relationship uh, for everyone that, you know, if you're going to go and fight and defend people who are being oppressed, then you should never be subject to terrorism legislation. And all those people who are in prison now, Muslims in Britain and in the West, they should be released because they were just doing what people are doing now going to fight against people who are being bombed you know and whose whose land has been decimated and occupied you know uh, abroad so you know why these why these you know stark contrasts
0: that's a discussion definitely for another day i wouldn't mind getting into that with you again there's some common ground there but there are other areas we wouldn't necessarily agree on anjam Chowdhury is our guest let's um Right, so they're being inconsistent, obviously, to put it mildly, you know, to say that we should prosecute Putin and, you know, forget about what Blair and Bush did. But they're also being hypocritical when it comes to the Ukrainian President, president Volodymyr Zelensky, aren't they? Because a number of, um, not, not too many, but a number of American journalists have pointed out that even before the invasion of Ukraine, in fact, ever since he became president, Zelensky has a bit of a fondness for authoritarianism himself, doesn't he, Anjam? Banning parties he doesn't agree with, taking control of state media, outlawing people who criticise him. So all of that's yeah. going on there as well. And
3: again, our media completely oblivious to it. Yeah, and uh, let's remember as well that he was pro-Israeli, and uh, the whole world knows now. And, and you know, many people who weren't sympathetic before are sympathetic to the Palestinian cause. You know, the kind of things you know that are being said now. By the Russians, about what they're doing in Ukraine, how people are hiding, uh, you know, behind children and women, you know, these are, in fact, uh, you know, military men. It's just like a cover for them. And you know, we were just targeting military. Ta- they are the kind of things that the Israelis, the Jewish state, uh, have been saying for generations. I and mean, yet, why is it here suddenly it's being called out as a pack of lies? But when it comes to the Palestinians you know, all these lies are believed and even the British and the Americans can arm them, you know, militarily, financially support them, host them in Parliament. I mean, you know, it's it, it so shocking. You know, whenever you see the television, you know, I'm sure there millions of people are just shouting at the television going, you bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, How dare you?
0: Here's a question for you on that. It's uh, nine minutes to the top of the hour. I've um, been broadcast, I, I've been doing radio shows about the plight of the Palestinian people ever since I got into independent radio, when I got out of the mainstream media. And it appears to me that the Palestine's neighbours, where there is an Islamic government, they don't seem to give a damn about Palestine, or the Palestinians. Why is that?
3: Actually, none of those governments are implementing Islam and the Sharia, actually. Most of those are puppets on one superpower or the other, either the Americans, you know, or they have alliances with China or Russia. And, you know, I mean, the recent, um, uh, um, I suppose, group of countries, including Qatar and Bahrain, I think Abu Dhabi, I'm not sure, Egypt, who were, you know, the kind of, the ones who've now suddenly decided they can recognize this pirate state, you know, is is an indication that these uh, regimes are led by the most vicious uh, dictatorial, And criminal leaders, they're not implementing, you know, any kind of semblance of Islam or the Sharia. And in fact, many Muslims are rising against those. I've had a campaign running for the last six months, you may be aware, about freeing prisoners in in these countries. And many of the scholars and intellectuals and academics are, in fact, languishing in those prisons because they speak up against those regimes. You know, you talk all of these, including Jordan and Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is one of the worst ones. You know, they executed 81 people a few weeks ago. You know, many of them are just you know people who spoke out against the government, and and you know and and they're the ones who are supposed to help uh, the Palestinian, the Muslims in Palestine. I think we're joking. These people are are killing their own people and murdering their own people.
0: Well, we could talk about Iran then. But why 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 has why has Iran historically not given a damn about the the Palestinian people?
3: Well, the Iranian regime have a big problem with uh, Sunnis anyway. I mean, they have a, they have a massive campaign against uh, Sunni Muslims domestically. Many of those have been tortured and arrested. And, you know, a campaign I did about three weeks ago talked all about that. The Shia Rafadi, uh mindset of the Iranian regime uh, is basically one which sees Sunnis as people who are always going to be an enemy, that they should be targeted first, even before Jews and Christians and others. And obviously Palestine is mostly made up of Sunnis, so they don't give a damn. You know, even, even uh, the uh, people there, In the south, Hezbollah, they don't have it on their agenda to fight uh, with the Israelis. You know, they're in government in Lebanon, and yet they're they're, they're right next to uh, the Palestinians in the south, and yet they never never really fight with them. It's not on their agenda, and they're controlled by the Iranians.
0: Final one on that, you were talking about, you know, puppet regimes in, in, in the region. That's a good point. It's a point well made. What about the Taliban? You know, rolling back on women's rights there, girls can't go to school. That's not good stuff is
3: it well the taliban again you know it's a project and maybe one day they will implement the sharia but it seems to me that their own project was cooked in qatar with the americans which is why the americans left but obviously they didn't leave completely because they're still droning people in afghanistan under the eyes of the taliban as you saw as soon as they took power yeah. so it's not full authority and i think that they they still have tribal issues They have issues with other Muslim uh, Islamic groups, they're still fighting. So I don't think they have full control over all of the country. And the fact that they allow a lot of things which Islam completely prohibits, grave worshipping and many other things, really does not have the stamp of authority for Muslims. You know, we we encourage them to implement the Sharia. But, uh, you know, until and unless they implement all of it and stop being puppets to the Americans and others and completely wrest themselves free from them, and 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 don't say anything to try to appease them rather try to appease you know Allah alone, then obviously I think it would be a bit different, but I don't think that they they as well have Israel on their agenda really because they're dealing with too many things internally, I think at the same time.
0: Where can people find you online these days Anjum?
3: Well, you can find me on many blogs. they keep getting cancelled, but <laughs> i'll send you I'll send you a link. And then you can, you can put it up on your radio station if you want.
0: Will do. Thanks for coming on today. Look forward to next time. Cheers for the, uh, for the appearance welcome. today. Cheers, Anjam. Anjam Chowdhury, um, uh, Islamic scholar and, of course, at one time, a solicitor speaking to us on the Richie Allen Show today for Wednesday, the 30th of March, 2022. Loads of comments on that. I'm going to read a few of them out now, as many as I can in any case. If I can log on to my own website. I know, if you can't log on, boldly, what chance is there for the rest of us? I understand. As Steve says, if you draw a cartoon of Muhammad, then, then even the religion of peace will go nuts and kill you. Not necessarily true, Steve. I did mention earlier on, I know, I happen to know, and have come to know through this programme, many a Muslim gentleman and lady, and they don't believe that anybody should be killed. Or beaten up because they draw a, a, a cartoon of Muhammad, even if it's vulgar and depicts some sexual act with an animal, which is, um, if I remember rightly, was was the Danish thing. So no, it's not it's not fair to say that. Yes, yeah, some people might go nuts and might attack you. Uh, Steve says Islam is incompatible with Western civilization. He says, but 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 I would draw your attention to the fact that in every city in this country there There is a mosque, and Muslim men and women, some of them, second, third, fourth generations, go to the mosque, they go to Friday prayers, they pray five times a day, they work, they go home, they go on holiday, and they they, they, they coexist with with you and with me quite peacefully, really. You're talking about Wahhabism there. That's a completely different thing. I've yet to meet anybody in the UK. Now, you might say, well, they're probably hiding it. But I'm not stupid. I've yet to meet a Muslim in this country who believes in implementing the Sharia in its most extreme form. I've yet to meet somebody like that. The Muslims I know, they they do what I do, except they don't drink. <laughs> That's about it. And they get their meat from a different butcher. Once it's blessed, the halal meat. But they drive around in their cars, they go to the football, they go to the occasional concert, they live their lives. That's the truth of it, as far as I understand it. That's my experience. Anyway, you might have a different experience uh, than me. Fair enough. Johnny says, next time you ought to have someone challenging Chowdhury who understands the Bible. Um, Johnny, we were talking about a teacher being suspended over a mug depicting the image of Muhammad, and we were talking about the media coverage of Ukraine. We weren't discussing in any depth the Bible. He says, you're not a Bible scholar. Of course I'm not. Uh, I've read chapters or passages from the Bible previously, but of course I'm not a scholar. He then suggests I get Professor John Lennox on at the same time. Well, I've never heard of John Lennox, and I wouldn't do that if I was speaking about Ukraine or the Prophet Muhammad with Anjam Chowdhury. Now, if I was to have a debate about religion, which, which I wouldn't on this programme because I couldn't be arsed, then I might just do that. But uh, it's unlikely to happen anytime soon. Not on this programme, anyway. Um, I'm agnostic, you see. Chris says, a divide and rule. I've worked with people from all over the world. We all have more in common than religion and governments would have you believe Jonathan said this will kick off now it's going to end up like Edwina Curry I think no I had a very interesting interview with um, Anjam Chowdhury some years ago in which I put him against Tommy Robinson that was on Talk Radio Europe so I had Robinson on one phone I had Anjam Chowdhury on the other and Robinson didn't do very well in fact he hung up like Edwina Curry did, Tommy Robinson, he hung up and he ran away like a child after he'd accused um, Muslims of uh, beating their women. And I pointed out to Tommy that, uh, you know, people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. He didn't like that, so he hung up and left me and Anjam high and dry. So he did. Uh, let's scroll on down there. A number of you don't believe the Chris Rock incident was real. Because, apparently, Pfizer was a sponsor, the sponsor, or one of the sponsors of the Oscars. And Pfizer is hawking some sort of alopecia drug at the moment. So, you've added two and two together, and you've either reached four, because you might be right, or five. (laughs) You might not be right. What's my best guess? My guess is it's genuine. My guess is that Smith had a bit of a meltdown. He laughed. Might have noticed that she was like a bulldog chewing a wasp, right? That probably gave him a bit of a fright. So the laughing turns to anger, turns to, well, I better do something about this. What he could have done was shout to that Rock, that's a bit cheap, isn't it? Eh? That would have been embarrassing for Rock because he's presenting live You know, if you've ever done any live presenting on television or or anywhere, you know, it's... It can be tense. Not always. I mean, I enjoy presenting 99 times out of 100. But if you're doing a big live gala or gala event, you might be a bit on the tense side. So if Smith had said, you know what, pal, that's a bit cheap, that, isn't it? Making gags like that. You know that Jada's got alopecia. That's a bit pathetic, isn't it? That would have knocked Chris Rock back a bit. Rock or rock supporters, because Rock hasn't said a word yet, has he? His supporters maintain that he didn't know that her hair is cropped so closely because of alopecia. Maybe that's true, maybe it isn't. Thanks for all of your messages. They're coming in, thick and plenty. Bruce said it's clearly nothing to do with an almighty. Uh, the weak link here, as always, is the insane naked ape that is mankind who will try and justify anything. Faisal who's always got something interesting to say on this particular subject, as long as I've known him. He says, mind you, one does have to ask why a teacher would display an emblem that would obviously and gratuitously offend another religious group. That is a good question. Because while I'm saying clearly that people should be allowed to drink out of whatever cup they want, and if they want to draw a cartoon of Mohammed, they should be entitled to do it, even if we think they're idiots. I also said I would prefer people didn't do things just to piss people off. It's never a great motivation, is it? Why are you doing that? Uh, to piss someone off. Well, that's not great, is it? Why? What has he ever done to you? Or she? Would be my next question. She's a devout Muslim, isn't she? What has she ever done to you? Nothing? Leave her alone then. If you think she's likely to be upset at you drinking or or, or eating out of a, a vessel which has got a cartoon of Muhammad on it, just don't do it. Or at least don't do it around her. Is what I would say. That's how I roll. <laughs> you know, Neil says, I have no time for hate preachers. Give over, Neil. Give me a break, you... You, you, you could be writing headlines for the sun. Hate preachers. Jesus Christ. Give me a break. Anyway, Neil, thanks for the comment, pal. This is... This is... Wednesday's Richie Allen radio show. <laughs> I'm Richie Allen. The BBG. This is Katrina and the Waves. And walking on sunshine. The sunshine is gone. Ain't no sunshine, cause it's gone. Gone, gone, gone It's piddling down in Salford James Perloff in about five minutes Katrina and the Waves Didn't uh, Katrina and the Waves win the Eurovision Song Contest? I genuinely cannot remember, but it rings a bell Love, shine a light did that win the Eurovision, Love, Shine a Light by Katrina and the Waves, or did it come second? Was it the last tune from the UK to win? Angela Lambert, how are you doing, my friend? She says, "Rich, you're not right about social media for everyone. I only want to reach the people I love and care about. I have hunted for info and shared it in the vain hope they will see it, says Angela. Thank you, Angela. Made a comment earlier on about about why I believe that social media is basically like kettling. It's like a prison. It actually prevents action rather than enables it. You know, genuine action. If you missed any of it, listen back to the monologue. Angela disagrees and she's absolutely entitled to do that. Angela, I don't speak for everyone. I'm making a more general point. I know that not everybody goes on to social media... To be told what they want to hear and to see what they want to see. I'm well aware of that. But in the main, that is what happens, in my opinion. I see it every day. Look at the Twitter accounts of people you follow. Blue tick people. They spend most of their days shouting out absolutes, which ultimately are nonsensical, truisms, the bleeding obvious. And they do that to garner likes and shares and retweets and ultimately to massage their massive egos. Most of them. That's what they do. They fell into the trap. That's what Twitter and Facebook was designed to do. I remember when I reached over 100,000 Twitter followers. I remember when the YouTube channel went over 100,000. It dawned on me that that was a very powerful thing. That there was a lot I could do with that. For myself. And I remember thinking, you know, if you weren't made of stronger stuff, it would be easy to succumb to that bullshit and start to get to like yourself very much and start to send out hourly stupid messages to your followers about what you're eating and where you're going and all of that crap, you know? That's what it is. I've seen it. I've been there. I, um... I mean, listen, 100,000 is nothing. There there are people with millions. Doesn't Cristiano Ronaldo have 100 million followers on Instagram? Mother of divine. You know what I mean? Anyway, shall we get the outstanding James Perloff on the Richie Allen Show, shall we? Because he's one of the good guys. Let's get him on. He's a terrific broadcaster, is James. He's not only a broadcaster... Uh, but he's an author as well. He's been coming on my radio shows for many years. He is uh, excellently briefed when it comes to geopolitical trends. I think we began talking way back when, in the, uh, would have been in the late 2000s, the first time we spoke. Um, You can read him at jamesperloff.net. His books are terrific. Truth is a, is a Lonely Warrior comes to mind. Most recently, COVID-19 and The Agendas to Come red-pilled. Check them out, jamesperloff.net. But he blogs on there, and his blogs are very, very good. They're very thoroughly researched, very easy to read, and uh, they make sense. Let's welcome back to the programme our friend, the one and only James Perloff. James, welcome back. How are you? We should be speaking with James right about now, unless I've done something I shouldn't have done. Can you hear us there, James? No, I don't think so. So we'll just try him again. Ah, there you are. He's ready. He's ready. We'll try him again. He's standing by. Let's get him on. By the way, if there's anything you'd like to comment on, if you'd like to say something about what what James will be talking about, go to richieallen.co.uk and it is Comment Live. Welcome back, James.
2: Well, thank you, Richie. Uh, What a great guy you are. um, uh, Standing up for the truth so courageously all these years.
0: Not at all. All I do is uh, platform men and women who stand up for the truth um, courageously, like yourself, and uh, you know often suffer the consequences for it. Um, Ukraine Behind the Wall Brilliant blog. Uh, people should go to jamesperloff.net to read it. I've read it. It's uh, brilliantly written and illustrated, as always. Uh, before we get into it, what about these talks taking place in Istanbul and the idea that cautious optimism is um, is in the air, that maybe the Russians might retreat to the east and say, right, we'll, we'll draw a line around the Donbass-Luhansk region. What are your thoughts just, just on that, James, for the moment?
2: I don't know enough about what's being discussed in uh, those Istanbul talks, um, but I think it's a possibility um, because uh, even though Putin has some superior nuclear weapons. Uh, nobody wants a world war to break out. They might come up with a compromise. I just don't know. But I don't trust the West who are pushing so hard in this situation uh, against Russia. Um, it may be that they're dickering for more time for something else that they're planning. I really don't know as far as the talks themselves cons- are concerned.
0: Very good. You're right to say that. They're very early talks and some commentators have pointed out to the pointed out the fact that Vladimir Putin, the President of the Russian Federation, and Vladimir zelensky aren 't part of those talks, and that maybe we should only take such things seriously when the you know the so called heads of both of those countries uh, sit down with one another either physically mm-hmm. or or they do it um, or they do it over zoom but you make some excellent points in your blog, the hypocrisy of the media in the u k in in Europe, in the United States, and of the politicians in our countries. You know, in terms of what what, what they say about Russia's conduct is breathtaking, isn't it, the hypocrisy?
2: Yes, uh, Russia's only been in Ukraine for about a month, and uh, they're dealing with security issues on their own border, which we'll deal with. But um, uh, the first thing I start out with with my blog post is... uh, America's and NATO's war history. And, um, uh, you know, Putin right now is being, the economists compared him to Hitler. They have this image of him all in black with a tank on his face. And it says, where will he stop? In other words, it's going to be like the public image of Hitler. He's going to conquer this country and then he won't be satisfied with that. He'll conquer another country and another country. And he's lusting ambitiously to conquer the world. And America Online compared him to Stalin, And these are just comic book caricatures. But um, if you take a look at uh, ourselves, uh, America, NATO, including Britain, um, you know, I I start out with uh, the famous clip of Wesley Clark. All all the videos on my post are very short. They're MP4s, one or two minutes long. I know people don't like to be bogged down with long videos. Uh, Occasionally they go over two minutes. But um, Wesley Clark... Famously, was told at the Pentagon after 9/11 that the Pentagon was going to take out seven countries in five years, starting with Iraq, even though Iraq had nothing to do with 9/11. And um, then, of course, we invaded Iraq in 2003. Um, we weren't not fighting on our border; we were fighting halfway around the world, invading a country halfway around the world. Uh, over weapons of mass destruction that didn't exist. And even if they had existed, you know that Saddam Hussein would never dare start a nuclear war with the United States and NATO. Um, And uh, uh, this uh, war lasted for officially for about a decade. It cost hundreds of thousands of Iraqi lives and American taxpayers trillions of dollars. And then uh, this conjures to mind the 1991 Gulf War against Iraq, which is also based on false pretenses. It was based... Uh, largely on a story that uh, Iraqi soldiers were throwing uh, babies out of incubators in Kuwait. And now that story has been totally debunked. Even Wikipedia admits it was a fake story now. Um, but uh, that was followed by sanctions on Iraq. And I have the clip, famous clip of our former Secretary of State, uh, Madeline, the late Madeleine Albright, I should say, uh, telling 60 Minutes, the the uh, news show, that um, the death of half a million Iraqi children from U.S. sanctions was, the cost was worth it, she said. And then, uh, of course, you've got the war in Afghanistan, which lasted for 20 years. And that was based on the pretext that we're going to go in and get bin Laden. Well, uh, I was working on a book on 9-11 before I was disrupted by the, the whole COVID thing. And a great book to read, is a book called um, Juggernaut by Gary Bernstein, who was the field commander in charge of the forces trying to capture bin Laden in the immediate aftermath of 9-11. And he said, we've almost got bin Laden surrounded. I just need 800 more rangers. Washington refused. And when he he persisted, they sent him to South America. America didn't want bin Laden captured because if he had been captured, that would have ended the pretext for all these these wars that followed.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, And James... Is it a possibility that bin Laden was dead already at at that stage? Did Fox News at one time report that bin Laden had succumbed to a very serious illness?
2: They were talking about kidney disease. And uh, I read a a, a book by his... uh, One of his bodyguards, and I don't know if it's accurate or not, but he said that he did not have any kidney disease. I've heard a lot of conflicting reports about this. But of course, as you know, in 2011, when Barack Obama's poll ratings were at the lowest, we supposedly killed bin Laden in a raid, but then then they dumped his body in the ocean the very next day, (laughs) making it impossible to verify that they really done that. But even after the alleged death of bin Laden, we stayed in Afghanistan for another 10 years waging war. Um, And I might add to this, of course, we all know in Libya, uh, NATO bombed it relentlessly for months. Now, Libya was a very prosperous nation. It had the um, um, best GDP uh, per capita in, in Africa. Uh, the average income of a Libyan was $15,000. That was very good for the Middle East, North African region. And it also had the, Africa's highest life expectancy and a literacy literacy rate of 88%. But then, you know what happened? Uh, uh, Gaddafi tried to introduce the gold dinar which threatened the American dollar and we bombed the heck out of the country and and it turned into complete chaos. We supported uh, violent extremists and insurgents, many of whom were imports you know, just mercenaries. And uh, now they say that Libya is the largest open slave market in the world. We we turned a a prosperous nation into a destroyed one. And I might add to that uh, the United States bombing Syria with cruise missiles in 2017 and 2018 based on false reports that uh, Bashar al-Assad had used chemical weapons on his own people. Well, I have people, I have friends from Syria, and I have people with boots on the ground in Syria. He did not use chemical weapons, and by the way, you cannot dismantle chemical weapons by blowing them up. They were bombing Damascus, claiming there were chemical weapons there. Well, if they were really chemical weapons, it would spread them into the atmosphere and kill tens of thousands of more. This was the I listed 14 reasons on my website uh, why we should not have uh, launched cruise missiles um, on Syria. But that was uh, one of them. the Pentagon knew for sure that there were no chemical weapons there. And then, of course, we have Yemen, where uh, Saudi Arabia is using American and I believe British weapons as all. Well and millions are on the brink of starvation, yet there's there's no righteous indignation in the Western media about this. It's only Ukraine, 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 which has now, at least for the time being, replaced COVID as the headline.
0: Yeah, overnight. Wasn't that incredible? I'm sure we'll come back to that. And on on Libya, you see, I, like you, lament the hypocrisy or even just the whitewashing of recent events or almost pretending they never happened. Like you mentioned the Libya debacle, which was, was was another war against humanity, carpet bombing Libya, you will know that the Foreign Affairs Committee, which is a, a committee of MPs here in the UK, they investigated the part that the United Kingdom played in Libya and published a report in 2016 which blamed David Cameron for what happened mm-hmm. in Libya and said that the, the former UK Prime Minister, which I know you know that, and they said that basically going into Libya, the no-fly zone, was founded on erroneous assumptions. You know, yes. that you lied, that basically you lied about the, the threat of Gaddafi to the Libyan people. You told the world that freedom fighters were freedom fighters when in fact they were terrorists. Um, all of this, and that's only five, six years ago. And of course, James, this is the thing that kills me as a journalist. Nothing ever comes of any of that. You know, they called out Cameron for lying to the British people about Libya and the fact that he wanted regime change exclusively while there were other things the UK could have done to protect civilians. And yet nothing ever comes of it. So it's not like nobody calls them out on this. By the way, the chairman of that Foreign Affairs Committee, Crispin Blunt, you'll know this, our listeners might not, not long after that report was published, he lost his job as the chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee.
2: Uh, well, you're actually, you're telling me some information that I that I didn't know uh, regarding uh, the uh, the uh, response in Britain yeah. to the uh, Lib- Libyan affair. But uh, the main point being that uh, this righteous indignation yeah. people in, in the media and politicians uh, who are all they're all uh, following the same script just as they did with COVID. And as you know, uh, Klaus Schwab's uh, School for Young Global Leaders has graduated Tony Blair, Angela Merkel, Emmanuel Macron, Jacinda Aldrin of of New Zealand, Justin Trudeau, as well as Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg of of Facebook, Jeff Bezos of Amazon, Chelsea Clinton. Um, And uh, Klaus Schwab has been boasting how they've infiltrated cabinets around the world. Um, This is... uh, Uh, Just uh, another repetition of what happened with COVID where the media and the politicians are now under such monolithic control that um, you get one narrative from uh, both the politicians and the media. And uh, the only people contradicting or investigating or doing real journalism are those in the alt media who are so heavily censored
0: heavily censored is right. James Perloff is our guest. Please bookmark jamesperloff.net. Please buy one of James's books. Not for the hell of it, but because they're bloody good books. Um, You'll find links to his books on the website there. You also make an excellent point in the blog about um, Russia has a legitimate grievance with NATO and with promises that were broken about NATO expansion and that this, again, is ignored. And I think you're you, you, again, you lament, and I think you're right to lament. The problem with the media and politicians ignoring this stuff is is that the public are basically left in the dark constantly, uh, unless they right. happen to be reading James Perloff or occasionally listening to The Richie Allen Show. Russia has said, listen, <laughs> this, this is why we feel this is important. You made promises uh, and you've broken them and we've had to act. But the average Joe on the street is unaware of it, James.
2: Right, uh, because the uh, uh, mainstream media, which, you know, in, here in America, we have just five corporations that control almost all our mainstream media. You know, uh, Time Warner, Disney, uh, News Corp, uh, NBC Universal, and CBS, which merged with Viacom, which is quite a, from six to five corporations. But, um, uh, you know, normally when another country is misbehaving, uh, your first step would be diplomacy. You would attempt to contact that country, negotiate See if the problem can be resolved. United States has not attempted to do that. We just responded with uh, sanctions and $14 billion worth of military aid to Zelensky in Ukraine. And in the meantime, our media, at least here in America, is not making any attempt to report to the public what Putin actually said. Instead, we have uh, him portrayed as a comic book villain who's out to conquer the world. But Let's talk about Putin's reasons that they actually gave. And in, in my blog post, I have eight short clips of Putin. They're, they're one minute or two minutes long. I know people don't like to be burdened again with, with long videos, so they're very short. But uh, he points out a number of things. Number one, as you mentioned, Richie, uh, NATO was expanding. And when NATO, um, when the Russia broke up, uh, excuse me, the Soviet Union broke up in 1991, NATO promised it would not for, move further east. But uh, they have absorbed Bulgaria, Um, Albania, Croatia, the three Balkan states, Slovakia. And now um, Ukraine uh, was planning to join NATO. They're already at what they call a NATO partner, but they were planning to become a full NATO member, which would have meant that if Russia moved later on this year, uh, Ukraine could have invoked the NATO treaty and brought all NATO partners into the military conflict. So Russia had to move quickly. But let's talk about Putin's reasons for going in. Number one, Zelensky said he wanted to be a nuclear power. He wanted nuclear weapons in Ukraine. And Russia did not want a country hostile to it with uh nuclear missiles on its border and putin made a very good comparison he said supposing we put nuclear missiles in canada on the american border or in mexico on the american border how would america feel about that of course you would uh, move to prohibit that secondly we have these bio labs now the bio labs there are about 25 to 30 of them and they're u.s bio-labs that are doing gain-of-function research similar to the Wuhan lab. Now, can I just stop um, you there? Can, yeah, can I, if yeah. you
0: don't mind me stopping you there, uh, James. Sure. Oh, go are, ahead and stop me anytime. Are you satisfied that the claim made by Russian intelligence about the existence of these bio-labs, are you satisfied that, have you seen enough proof for you to endorse that claim? Or is it, you know, propaganda? Because some of my listeners who will agree with you on 90% of what you're saying here, they will say, listen, even a blo- broken clock is right, you know, twice a day. <laughs> you know, so so maybe these labs don't exist, but are you satisfied they do?
2: Uh, well, I have to remember that uh, Joe Biden's clock is completely broken. It's not even right <laughs> twice a day. But um, yes, uh, because Victoria Newland, who is the Deputy Secretary of State, acknowledged before Congress, and I have the clip of her saying this, that we have biolabs labs in Ukraine, and that kind of uh, shut up the um, fact-checkers who were saying this was just a conspiracy theory. I also have um, video, again, these are just one- or two-minute clips of uh, former Congresswoman uh, Tulsi Gabbard and Ben Swan, former uh, TV news anchor, verifying these biolabs and uh, pointing out that they were developing dangerous pathogens there with gain-of-function, including anthrax, plague, and other dangerous uh, pathogens, which of course you, the Russians did not want on their immediate border, and I have to add to this that um, uh, this has been known for some time that the Ukrainian government was carrying out atrocities against people in eastern Ukraine, particularly those of Russian descent. And at the end of my article, I linked to a one and a half hour documentary uh, by uh, it was made in two thousand, back in two thousand sixteen, by a German filmmaker about the uh, you know depicting and documenting the atrocities that the Ukrainian government was doing on its own citizens. And Donbass, the, one of the eastern regions of um, Ukraine, had formally appealed to Russia for help, for defence. So um, these are some of the reasons why Russia is um, in Ukraine. These are, these are legitimate uh, security concerns. Legitimate gripes.
0: And-, and by the way, just in case you think I didn't read your blog, I, I did. But I know that some people listening won't have read it. That's why I challenged you on the sure. evidence for the bio labs, but all of that evidence is in the the blog. I don't meet too many people whose blogs are as thorough and as readable as James's. Often you read very long blogs and they're not so readable. They get bogged down, but James doesn't. He's an expert at this. It's very good. Ukraine, behind the wall of propaganda on JamesPerloff.net. That's why I was asking you to double down on on the labs. Look, they had the grievances, and you've laid all of this out brilliantly in, in in your blog, but I'm 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 a humanitarian, I think, at heart. The minute you start shelling villages or towns and and people die, and they do die, whatever Vladimir Putin's legitimate grievances might be, I think you know you become as bad as the thing that you despise. Putin might have every reason to despise the actions of. The United States and, and and the UK. I certainly do, as an Irishman who lives in the UK. You know the West, uh, the neocon Zionists. Uh, you know the the Anglo Zionists, the, the the lunatics. France, UK, uh, uh, United States, Israel. The things they've done to people in in my lifetime. They absolutely shadow anything that Russia might have done. But James, the minute you start firing on people. It's game over. You, you, you're becoming a monster to beat a monster. What do you think of that?
2: Well, I, I understand what you're saying, but I want to say that the uh, Russians have been moving slowly, not because they're weak, but because they're trying to focus with precision on military targets and avoid civilians. And I have clips there of uh, Russian officers talking to the Ukrainian people saying, look, we're not at war with civilians. Uh, we've created a... a, a um, a pathway of safety for you. If you follow this, this pathway, uh, you'll be given uh, provisions. And this footage on my uh, blog of uh Russians, uh, there was 40 tons at the time. This is, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but this humanitarian aid. The Russians are passing out to civilians, food, uh, bottled water. Um, they're not at war with civilians and Putin has made it clear they have no intention of occupying um, Ukraine. Um, but I think they felt they had to do this because of the repeated broken promises and the, the immediate threats to Russia, which were very very significant uh, in terms of nuclear weapons and biolabs. They had to do something to stop this process. Um, so uh, I have a uh, you know another section. I've articles broken into you know about eight sections, but one is on the Ukraine itself and the, the government there, which is being portrayed so heroically. And um, you have to walk back a little bit in history, but you go back to 2014. Um, the legitimately elected president of Ukraine was uh, Viktor uh, Yanukovych, and he was overthrown in 2014 by a CIA-backed coup and, because he wasn't taking any. He refused to take IMF loans. You know the bankers wanted him to take loans. Well, his um, successor Poroshenko did take loans, and of course that's one reason why Ukraine's in so much economic trouble now. I should also mention that Zelensky had no political experience at all before 2019. He's no statesman. He was an no. actor and comedian, comic. Yeah. I, yeah, I have a video, a clip from a video basically could be described as a gay porn video where he's naked dancing around with other gay men. It's uh, kind of disgusting, but I just wanted to give people a little idea of, you know, what we're dealing with here. In addition to that, and, and I, I quote Tucker Carlson on this uh, of Fox News: that uh, Zelensky has banned all opposition parties except for the neo-Nazis. And he's also taken state control of the media. So as far as being a champion of freedom and democracy, um, that's not looking very good. And by the way, that process started of banning other parties and taking over the media started before the Russian invasion. Uh, In addition to that, the Ukrainians are using citizens as shields, setting up artillery um, right in civilian neighborhoods so that if the Russians do attack they can be accused of atrocities against civilians, and I have, you know, this video footage of the uh, Ukrainian civilians talking to the military, uh, Ukrainian military, I say, "Why don't you go to the open fields over there and set up your cannons? Why do you set them up right in our neighborhoods?" Uh, there, there's, there's more I want to say about Ukraine, but let me throw it back to you, Richie. I know I cut you off there. Not at
0: all. Season. No, no. This look, this, this, this is hugely, hugely interesting and important because we might be at some sort of crossroads here depending on how these talks go. Um, James Perloff is our guest. On the neo-Nazi accusation, um, look, it's been put to me several times that it's ridiculous to refer to Zelensky as a Nazi because he's a practising Jew, number one, but that we're falsely conflating ultranationalism with with Nazism, that a lot of Zelensky supporters are you know, they are national Ukraine, they are nationalists. And you know, a Ukrainian gentleman got in touch with the programme a couple of weeks ago. I was having mm-hmm. a bit of a an anti-Zelensky rant. I was in the middle of a rant and I, I got sent a message via the website by a gentleman, genuine, absolutely genuine. He said, Richie, Ukraine was an independent country centuries ago. We had a constitution in the early uh, 17th, uh, sorry, in the early 18th century. You know, uh, U- Ukrainians have not wanted to be part of um, Russia, um, whatever Russia was, um, for for centuries. It's not new that there are nationalists in the country and, you know, prepared to take up arms or do whatever is necessary to keep the country independent. Now, I know, and I would agree with you, um, you're not independent when you take money from the IMF. You're not independent if you join NATO, and you're certainly not independent if you join the European Union. But I find this problem with Scottish nationalists as well, funnily enough. They don't seem to understand this. You know, Scottish nationalists, we want to leave the United Kingdom. Fair enough. Yeah, okay, I understand that. But then they want to join the European Union. So the point my Ukrainian listener was making was, you know, don't just paint this as, you know, Ukrainians are total puppets of the West. A lot of the people are not. They do not want to have anything to do with Russia.
2: Sure. Uh, uh, it's, we're really talking about government officials. It's just like in yeah. America, you know, most of the people in America are good people. Um, but uh, we have, uh, you know, our political leaders who are bought off and uh, uh, those who have been through even Gavin Newsom, the, the uh, dictatorial ca- California governor, has been through his Klaus Schwab's uh, School for Young Global Leaders uh, so it's it's more the government, not the people that are, are a problem, and certainly Ukraine has great people. In fact, uh, back in 2009, I wrote an article for the New American magazine on the Holodomar when um, the Soviet Union, under Stalin at the time, starved out seven, to death 7 million Ukrainians uh, in 1931, 1932. Uh, that was a great atrocity, but yes. I don't want to confuse that situation too much. You know, the, uh, uh, the leopard changes his spots quite often. And, you know, one guy who's a person who's a bad guy, you know, for the United States, you know, we, we supported Ho Chi Minh in Vietnam against the French. And then we, we, we fought a war against him in the Vietnam war. And we supported Saddam Hussein when he fought Iran, Iran. in the eighties. And then we turned against him. We, 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 <laughs> we bombed them in the nineties. So, you know, um, uh, uh, things change over time, but I don't doubt that there are many great Ukrainian nationalists who perceive this as um, uh, uh, illegitimate invasion by Russia. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that. And it all, all also depends on what kind of information people have access to, access to, even in their own country. And with Zelensky taking over the media, uh, people are going to get a much more restricted view from now on.
0: Yeah, he's he's a dreadful character, Zelensky. You've brilliantly summed that up there. And, and, and most people within any country, they really don't understand what's going on behind the curtain. They just don't. Um, Spiro Skouras has been in touch and he says his dad, Lakey, who's an amazing guy as well, he said, Lakey gave me a book written by James when I was about 13, uh, the book which I've read, Shadows of Power, The Council on Foreign Relations and the American Decline. And Spiro says... That is still relevant today, that book. I highly recommend it. I do as well. Go to jamesperloff.net and read these books, folks. I'm telling you. these are James has been writing about these agendas for many, many, many years and coming on programmes like mine uh, for many years too. Um, and thank God that he has. What about those who reckon we're all being played, James? That ultimately what comes out of this crisis is food shortages, energy, uh, price hikes, which are screwing people and and mm-hmm. bankrupting people. And all of this is right up the street of Klaus Schwab, isn't it? So what about those uh. who believe that this is a crisis that has somehow been engineered to to enhance or to speed up, expedite, whatever word you want to use, the Great Reset. And that Putin, either consciously or subconsciously, is playing his part in it. What do you think?
2: Uh that is great. Uh, I was going to talk about fake news, but... Uh, oh, no, do, do, jump that. in. I hate
0: to be doing <laughs> it, but I'm also looking at the bloody clock. Whenever you and I talk, yeah. the time oh, flies. No, I, I like to talk yeah.
2: about that because, actually, that's the most important thing. What is the deep state's motives here? Yeah. Well, um, you know, uh, and, and uh, towards the end of my article, I talk about the motives, and I quote Hillary Clinton and George Soros denouncing uh, what Russia is doing. And then I quote Candace Owens, who you probably know is a, a well-known conservative... American commentator just yeah. three million followers on twitter and she tweeted this quote whenever george soros and hillary clinton with the full force of the mainstream media behind them come out and insist we throw our support regarding a matter overseas you can safely assume we are not being told the full truth or any truth at all so um one thing i wanted to do today uh, i want to make sure we don't run out of time um i'll skip with the fake that i was going to give you several examples of fake news but but let's talk about the motives uh, I'm going to discuss five. Two are a little less important, but one, of course, is the, the, the corruption angle. We know that Hunter Biden, the president's son, was um, put on the board of directors of um, Burisma, which is the largest natural gas company in Ukraine, at a salary of $50,000 a month. This is when Biden was That's vice so president funny. under Obama. You know, uh, this is a clear case of corruption. But I don't think we can explain the. Reaction to, to Russia's invasion by that. Another one which has validity is that they're trying to distract us with these headlines about Ukraine from other things, such as the fact that the whole COVID narrative was unraveling. You know, was, of course, Pfizer had wanted to keep its safety uh, and testing data secret for 75 years. Now it turns out they've had to reveal it and there were 1, over 1,200 deaths during their, their trials. And of course, we have all these athletes dropping dead from heart attacks, the myocarditis, and uh, plus it distracts us from things like uh, government corruption, pedophilia, the decline in the economy. Um, uh, I, I think those are, but I think those are secondary. So I want to discuss three major possible motives for the for the, for the deep state with Ukraine. The first, as you mentioned, is a great reset, and Klaus Schwab, uh, everybody Most of your listeners will will be familiar with his, um, it's 2030, you'll have no privacy, you'll have, uh, you'll own nothing, but you'll be happy, which is a good description of a communist state. Um, he wants a, uh, and other globalists want a totally cashless world, which is what they have in China right now. They're totally cashless. Uh, they want digital ID, facial recognition, uh, social credit scores like they have in China. Um, but,, uh, to get that, for to get worldwide acceptance of the great reset, they really need a financial collapse. And if you look at at Ukraine, it's kind of like it fits into a series of steps of destructive blows to the economy. So, first, we had the lockdowns, which threw hundreds of thousands of small businesses uh, into bankruptcy um and millions of people out of work. Then, after the vaccine rollout, you had no jab, no job. so, Countless people lost their jobs uh, due to that policy, even though the vaccines don't work. And people who get the vaccine still get COVID and people have all these amazing these uh, amazingly enumerated side effects. Um, so that was kind of like the second blow to the economy, because uh, when people don't work, either due to vaccine injury or they quit their job because they wouldn't take the vaccine, uh, Countries don't get tax revenues from people's salaries, so that drives them further into debt. Then with the Ukraine situation, we have the sanctions, which are supposed to hurt Russia, but they hurt us just as much. I mean, companies that were doing business with Russia can't make profits anymore. We're cut off from, uh, in America from from Russian oil. So uh, the explosion of gasoline prices, which already begun due to the Federal Reserve's inflation of the currency, is now – uh, exacerbated by the fact that we don't get Russian oil. And of course, they may cut off their, the gas supply to to uh, Western Europe as well. Uh, but uh, to get that final blow to the world economy to accept um, a, a great reset, Klaus Schwab, and I linked to this video uh, where he says this, I, I didn't embed it, but I linked to it. Klaus Schwab has famously said that the next big thing we need to look out for is a uh, cyber attack. Now, uh, interestingly enough, there was a, uh, a financial war game held in Israel, and this is on Robert F. Kennedy's website. Um, International finance leaders hold war game exercise simulating global financial collapse. Should we, we be worried? I'm just quoting from from, from it. Uh, Kennedy, yeah. Israel. Yeah, there were 10 countries, including the U.S., that engaged in this, plus representatives from um, Bank of International Settlements, IMF, World Bank, and the World Economic Forum, and they were preparing for a cyber attack. Uh, which would be uh, easily blamed on Russia uh, and uh, which they could use then to destroy the current financial system and then replace it with the global ID, the global reset, the, uh, the um, uh, social credit system. So that's one possible motive. Second possible motive, and you jump anytime you want to, um, has to do with pipelines and this is something that I was not really aware of until Ukraine exploded and, and I started researching. It turns out that Israel and U.S. interests um, are interested in what's called the Leviathan oil and glass gas field. It's uh, an uh, oil and gas field in the Mediterranean off the coast of Israel, which has uh, an estimated 600 billion cubic meters of natural gas. Now, what the Israelis and U.S. firms want to do is build a pipeline through Syria, through Turkey, through Ukraine, into Western Europe and shut out Russia completely. Now, uh, I should mention that Turkey's already reportedly on board for a percentage of the profits. Ukraine, of course, would be on board. The only thing that's missing is Syria. And I think we need to, um, uh, no pun intended, to seriously Consider this when we look at the policy of Assad must go, the bombing of relentless bombing of Syria by Israel, which is not reported in, in the Western media, and um, the U.S. backing the so-called moderate rebels who are really ISIS, al-Nasra and al-Qaeda um, attacking, attempting to overthrow Assad. And I think we should also consider the the, the possibility uh, which I think is very real, the, the reason Russia and its air force came to the aid of Syria uh, was not just altruistic, but they wanted to prevent this pipeline that has been planned from replacing their own pipelines, which Ukraine is the gateway for Russian pipelines of natural gas to, to Western Europe. They they wanted to stop that from happening. So I think that's something we need to seriously uh, consider. That's uh, excellent, by the way. That's a,
0: Until I read the blog, I didn't know anything about that. That's, right, that's I, I, excellent. It was yeah. new
2: to me too. Uh, until yeah. before a month ago, I wouldn't have even known about it. But it's it's uh, when you you know how interested in uh, money the deep state is. Yeah. So this this is important, and Russia did, uh, depends heavily on that pipe their pipelines of natural gas for their economy. The third thing, and the thing that is most worrisome to me, is is it possible that there are people in the deep state who actually want this thing to escalate into a nuclear war we're sending 14 billion dollars of weapons into ukraine american volunteers are, are going in there um, they're, they're they're transferring terrorists from syria to ukraine to fight against the russians and uh, look at the provocations given russia lindsey graham who's a, a perennial war hawk here in america has called for the assassination of putin and joe biden who really doesn't know what he's saying half the time. But Joe Biden has twice said now that we need to um, have regime change in in Russia, that uh, Putin can no longer um, be allowed to be a uh, a, a national leader, which um, uh, you can imagine how how, uh, Russia responds to that. In addition to the sanctions, which is so harmful to the world economy, we're banning Russian athletes from events. And this this really uh, blew me away. Yuri Gagarin, who was the Russian astronaut who was famous as the first man into space. His name has been removed from the Space Foundation. Now, now, bear in mind that Yuri Gagarin died 54 years ago. He's yeah. got nothing to, nothing to do with Ukraine, nothing. but it, taking his name away is like taking away Neil Armstrong's name, Because of the (laughs) 2003 invasion of Iraq. It makes no sense. We're we're provoking Russia, provoking Russia. And this is a nuclear power. It's not Yemen. It's it's a nuclear power which has missiles which cannot be detected by radar, which we don't have in the West. This is insanity.
0: Hypersonic um, 10,000 mile an hour missiles. I mean, Jesus, 9,000 miles an hour capability. That could be in... D.C. or New York in in a matter of minutes, a half an hour, or something. This is the most disturbing aspect of the blog. I and I know you're not saying this is the reason. You're putting it out there as a hypothetical. Obviously, I, you know, I hope to God that you're wrong. But you're right to notice this. They've talked about Daniel. Oh God, is it Medvedev? Is is that his name? A top player, a, a top Russian tennis player at the moment. They've said that he might not be allowed to play Wimbledon unless he makes some public condemnation of, of, of his president. <laughs>
2: well, that, that would be in line with everything they were doing. I didn't yeah. hear that story specifically, but it's in line with everything they're doing. All Russian products and people are being banned. And it's like, how how much do you want to, pr- to push Russia, really?
0: Yeah, so you um, think that might be part of some plan to push and push and push until he reacts and then his reaction would give you the... Excuse then to escalate it to you know to unimaginable levels, which would be the deployment of of nuclear weapons.
2: Well, so- you know, Foreign Affairs, which is the journal of the um, Council on Foreign Relations, which goes back to my nineteen eighty eight book, the, Sh- the Shadow of the Power. They're really a shadow government, and the, they have a journal called Foreign Affairs. The current issue of Foreign Affairs says it's very likely that we can expect a chemical or biological attack by Russia and Ukraine. How would they know that? We know how many false flags there have been yeah. in the past like, yeah. with these chemical weapons attacks. Uh, uh, so they could use that, use pictures of dead people to say, oh, now we have to military intervene. We have to send troops that could escalate into a nuclear war. I'm not saying that's their purpose. They may stop short and uh, just settle for, you know, an economic failure. Uh, maybe that's all they have in mind. One thing I, uh, I-, I-, I mentioned in the article is I don't believe for, uh, for a moment that they would want an all-out nuclear war. I, I know that in the movie uh, Doctor Strangelove, uh, the elites did retreat underneath uh, the ground, the underground facilities. Uh, that was a plan outlined by Doctor Strangelove. Anyway, played by Peter Sellers, your your brilliant English actor who played three roles in that movie, yeah. uh, including the President of the United States. Uh, but um, uh, uh, I don't think they want an all-out nuclear war because. Uh, look at all the infrastructure that that would destroy that they've invested in, such as 5G vaccine passports. How could they reinstitute that after the chaos of a nuclear war? But one thing that does occur to me is that they might want to do something like a very limited nuclear exchange. You know, besides Dr. Strangelove in 1964, there was another movie that year called Fail Safe. And in that movie, uh, w- there's a limited uh, nuclear uh event uh one russian city is destroyed and one american city is destroyed and is it possible that they might allow uh something like a limited nuclear war to frighten the world into accepting global governance um centralized uh control uh, you know one economic system uh, to rule the world, is, is that possible? I don't know because because like like you, Richie, I don't I'm not a fly on the wall in the Rothschild home or or uh, the, the, these deep state players. I don't know what they're privately saying. But I wanted to throw out those possibilities. Those are I think the three main ones for for me are the great reset,, um, the pipeline situation, and the possibility of a nuclear war, which is unthinkable for us. Um, but, you know, it's been done. It's been done at Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945. It's not unthinkable. They might take out two cities again. I don't I don't know. Uh, but I wanted to to throw that into the mix because I felt that knowing how evil these people are at the top, we've seen how
1: yeah.
0: how
2: little respect they have for human life. That to me is not inconceivable that they might be planning something like that. I, I really don't know, but my, my, I want it to be as comprehensive as possible.
0: My, my my Jewish friends and and I have several, and and I love them dearly uh, because of their devoted commitment to free speech. They will say, ah, there you go again, someone you know bringing up the Rothschilds." This is way beyond Rothschild. They will say, "You know, it's got really nothing to do with Rothschild." They'll say it's on. This, this is a, a much deeper thing and that everybody in the world is, you know, in danger because of these agendas. It doesn't matter whether you're Jewish Muslim, whether you're a Sikh, that, you know, it's a mistake to think that this is some, you know, plot that's exclusively run. I'm not saying that's what you think now, but they will say, you know, the Rothschilds, just to mention, they will say it's an old trope and, you know, it's way beyond all of that. What would you say to that before we run out of time?
2: Uh, well, you know, I'm half Jewish myself, and I have no reluctance in saying that the Rothschilds were involved with the original Illuminati, uh, financing Adam Weishaupt. That's discussed in uh, William Guy Carr's book, Horns yeah. in the Game. The Napoleonic Wars. Back to the of 1770s. Course. And then, of course, you have uh, the Napoleonic Wars, the profits they made off of that, the financing of both sides of war, the support of Zionism, and, of course, the Balfour Declaration, which established the uh, the ground for the state of Israel was addressed to Lord Walter Rothschild, yeah. and I believe that uh, Jacob Rothschild has a, the copy of the original at his home. I recall um, your Prime Minister um, uh, sitting next, standing next to uh, Jacob Rothschild, looking at that document for a. That's apology. right. Remember uh, that um, photograph. It, yeah. it's a, they've been prominent in in financing wars going way back, um, including you know World War One. Uh, they they were financing so and and there, the evidence that they financed uh, the uh, Bolshevik Revolution. I mean, they've been on the radar screen for a long, long time. So I don't I don't mind mentioning them. I no, think no, the institution,
0: yeah. the institution, the institution Rothschild Inc. has its grubby paws over so much over the years in in terms of the financing. I I totally get that. Um, I, I I just inevitably hear from Jewish people who say, "Yeah, look, it's a very sinister family," but, but so what? There are other banking families and banking institutions, you know, whose surnames don't, you know, don't sound very Jewish. That it's it's much bigger. This agenda. That's that's what they say. Something I know that, um, you you've um said many times in conversations. Uh, with me. We could have spoken about so much more. We could have gotten into more of COVID as well, but we're we're kind of rapidly running out of time. I, I've got to say this, and, and I when I say this type of thing, I mean it from the bottom of my heart. And James Perloff hasn't given me anything to say this. He's just a guest on the programme. These books are brilliant. They're brilliantly researched and they are brilliantly written. They are easy to read. Uh, and yet they're intellectual books. His blogs are excellent. Support independent journalism because it's dying on its arse, as we say in, in Ireland. You've got to support people like James Perloff. Go to jamesperloff.net, read the blog, it's not going to cost you anything and do pick up one of his books and read it and then give it to your wife or your husband and, and, and let them read it as well. Don't um, leave it so long before you come back. You're welcome back any time, pal, you know that.
2: Uh, well, well, uh, Richie, I really appreciate the, the time today. Uh, you're just... Uh... Well, you're an Irishman, and you're, you know, the, it's something about the Irish. They've always had uh, a keen sense for uh, longing for the truth, and I think partly due to the oppression that they've suffered over the years, also a very strong spirit uh, in, in rectifying wrongs. So I uh, appreciate you, Richie. Appreciate all you're doing and uh, bringing the truth to people out there uh, around the world. Uh, and especially in uh, the European sphere.
0: You're very kind. Thanks for your time. It's valuable and you're very busy. Thanks, James, and I look forward to next time.
2: Thank you, Richie. God bless.
0: You too, sir. Bye for now. James Perloff, great writer, journalist, live on Wednesday's Richie Allen Show. That's about it for the programme today. Thanks so much to my guests, to James you've just been listening to, and to Anjam Chowdhury, who was on In the Forest Hour. If you missed that, I think you'll enjoy listening back to it. We were talking about a school teacher who's been suspended after he was photographed using a mug. The mug had an image on it of the Prophet Muhammad. And a lot of Muslims, not all, but a lot of Muslims don't like that. They find it blasphemous. So the guy was suspended. We talked about that and more. That was interesting uh, in the first hour. Thanks for all of your comments as well. I I appreciate them. I really do. Uh, I want to give a shout out to two people. Uh, First and foremost... I want to give a shout-out to Hayden Hewitt for working on the website, which um, he doesn't get a penny for. He does it out of his love for free speech and for free media. And, uh, you know, it's no small thing, that. So thanks to him for doing that. You you might, if you come across him from time to time on social media, you might say, listen, thanks for for doing that, because uh, the website's very useful, especially as we can't do the commentary on Twitter and we can't do it on Facebook, really. So um, so, thanks to Hayden for that. And I had an email from a gentleman in Walsall. I want to give him a shout out. And when I get the time, I will be responding to him. But I want to say hi to Mark Cassell. I hope I pronounced it right, Mark. Mark is in Walsall. He sent me a lovely email today about uh, listening to the radio programme, about how he found it. And I just want to say, Mark, thanks for the email. It uh, absolutely brightened my day. And I'm glad that you found the programme. And uh, I'll be in touch with you in uh, the very near future. So I'm going to dedicate the programme uh, to Mark in Walsall. Cheers for your email. Thanks for listening. All the best. I'll see you tomorrow at five. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Look after yourselves and Why one another. Are there are so many.